Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. As always, it is great to be with you another Tuesday evening where we are set to explore chapter 35 in the book of Genesis. But before we get into that chapter and Jacob returning to Bethel, I did want to respond to a question I received, a pretty straightforward, simple question. Joe, I've been listening to you on your study of the book of Genesis how might I best prepare myself for this study? And uh, while I've talked about this before, you've asked, so I'll talk about it again. It has been quite some time. The best way to approach just not what we're doing here, but really any Bible study, is to simply read the text again and again and again. And by that I mean read, let's see here, today we're going to read chapter 35, so if you've been following me, you know that you are to read chapter 35. Now, I'm going to talk about chapter 35, verses 1 to 15, so for me, what I've done to prepare for this evening is, yeah, I read chapter 35, verses 1 to 15, but after I read it one time, I read it a second time, and after I read it a second time, I started to make some notes, what was jumping out of the text for me, right? And then as I was starting to make notes, I read it a third time. And by the end of my third reading, I started to develop an idea of some things I wanted to talk about. And then I went to a commentary. So my suggestion to you would be read, read, and, and reread. Really pray and meditate with the text, okay? And then go to a commentary so that you make sure you're not missing something imperative to these verses and how it might apply to the larger whole, right? It would be very easy for us to go through a text, apply it to our, our lives, and, and move on. And that's fine. If that's what you're doing when you read the, the Bible to be inspired so as to move you to do good acts, okay, great. But what I'm talking about here is what we've been doing, which is going deeper into the sacred text by virtue of what? but how one verse illuminates the next verse, how one chapter illuminates the next chapter, how a series of narratives, albeit maybe five, six chapters, illuminates another series of narratives, if you will. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that this evening, because as we begin to wrap up our discussion on the patriarch Jacob, it's going to have us going back to Abraham. So we're going to go back to Abraham and and there's already a lot of foundation there, right? Because we spent quite a bit of time on Abraham. But the point to be had here is, once we understand Abraham and what God was doing with Abraham, can we really only begin to appreciate what's going on in these verses, chapter 35, verses 1 to 16. So again, yeah, we read one verse in light of its preceding verse, one chapter in light of its preceding chapter, uh, a story that surrounds one patriarch, right? And, and how that might be better illuminated because of patriarchs previously discussed. So again, we get into the commentaries so that we might see that seamlessness, if you will, that intelligible coordination of how God works in salvation history from one moment to the next, from one family to the next. So 
read sacred scripture prayerfully. If you are a Catholic, I really, really encourage you to take your reading of sacred scripture before the Blessed Sacrament, and then grab some commentaries, grab some books, authors you trust, with maybe uh, a notepad, or if you like to write in your Bible, that's fine. Begin to highlight, outline what you see going on, let the text speak to you, and you will be well on your way. That's what I do. It's what I encourage when I go around teaching, and certainly it's what uh, I share with you this evening, okay? All right, so if you want to pull out your Bibles, we are again going to read chapter 35, verses 1 to 15. In these series of verses, speaking of commentaries, as the Ignatius Catholic Commentary uh, speaks to it, what you have going on here is Jacob returning to Bethel to fulfill his vow to the Lord, the vow that brings us all the way back to Genesis chapter 28, right? And here he expresses in these verses his full allegiance to God by building an altar, uh, his full allegiance to God by erecting another memorial pillar, right? Um, his full allegiance to God by ridding his household of, of idols and other gods. And what we can begin to appreciate in these verses as it comes straight from the mouth of Jacob himself is how God intervened on behalf of Jacob and how ultimately in the end Jacob wants to uh, give thanksgiving and praise to God for all that he has done. So, Chapter 35, verses 1 to 15, Jacob returning to Bethel. And Bethel in the Hebrew means what? But house of God. All right, verse 1. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, that I may make there an altar to the God who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak which was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were round about them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Remember, we noted that yesterday, right? And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, and there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him where he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. And she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So the name of it was called Alan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So his name was called Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply a nation. A company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall spring from you. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. 
And he poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Amen. Okay, so what do we do with these verses? Well, just from the outset, as we go through these verses, verse by verse, something to be present to is what God first says to Jacob. Arise. Right? (laughs) As a good friend of mine once said, what is two-thirds of God's name but go? Right? Arise. We see this time and time again, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. God doesn't call you to be a couch potato, right? God doesn't call you to play four or five hours of, of Xbox or Fortnite or whatever it is that fancies you. No, God says to you, to me, to all of us, arise, right? Arise. What does the word mass mean? Missio, okay? In the Latin, to be sent forth. To be sent forth is where we get the word mission. Incidentally, my friends, <laughs> that Latin for mission, missio, is the same root for what? But missile, right? The, the whole idea here is that God not only calls us to arise, he, he not only calls us to go, he not only calls us to be, you know, sent forth, but this arising, going, sending forth is like that of a missile. God pours his grace into our hearts and he calls us to shoot forth, if you will, the glory of God. Arise, a very active verb. It's marrying, arising, and, and going to visit her cousin. Uh, the Greek there, when you translate Mary's arise, is it's a very proactive, joyful response. When God calls you to go somewhere, by the grace of God, we not only go, but we go willingly, ah, joyfully, right? So arise, go up to Bethel, go to that place that means what house of God, go to the place where I dwell and make there an altar to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Something comes to mind right now. I was in a conversation some weeks ago and someone pulled me inside and said, Joe, what's up with God appearing to all these patriarchs? (laughs) That's a great question. This is by my count, well, let's see here, the fourth time, but if you drop down to verse 9 in chapter 35, it's, it's the fifth time God has appeared to Jacob five times. Man, I wish God appeared to me five times, and yet Jacob still fell, right? All throughout the Old Testament, you're right, we see God appearing to just not patriarchs, but prophets alike, and, and they all fall. As I've noted before, the only one not to fall is Joseph. In the New Testament, God incarnate right, in Jesus and his disciples, his apostles, still fell. God can appear to us, and God has appeared to people in, in post-New Testament age, and those people still fell. So, so don't say, well, if God revealed himself to me or, or, or spoke to me, my world would be great. God chooses to speak to, to those who he chooses to speak to. That's his discretion. It's neither here or there. In the end, Jesus says it. Blessed is he who does not see and believe. Huh? Blessed is he who does not see and believe. God chose to speak to Jacob, and Jacob responded. Now, it is, I would say, greatly significant that Jacob called God, what do we read in verse 3? 
the one who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. I think this really serves as a fitting summary to the picture of God that has emerged from the many narratives that surround Jacob. Jacob was in constant distress, yet in each instance, God remained faithful to his promise and delivered him. And as he was faithful to his promise, this was in part why, because of Jacob's own faithfulness. What does Jesus say time and time again? Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Here I'm I'm thinking of the Roman guard, right? Talking about his servant. And what does Jesus say to the Roman guard, the Roman centurion? Your faith has saved him. So it's faith that saves. That deep, deep sense of God is real and what he can do is extraordinary. Remember, we use the word extraordinary. What does that mean? Extraordinary. So more than ordinary, right? Extraordinary. Supernatural. Do we believe in the supernatural? The more we believe in the supernatural, the more we will trust God. And this is what brings God great delight. So here we see Jacob offering for us a beautiful summary of God. God is the one who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. What does Jesus say? Lo, I will be with you always. And and how can Jesus say that? Because what does he give us but the gift of the Holy Spirit? And the gift of the Holy Spirit is, yes, the love shared between the Father and the Son, and as such, the very presence of God, right? So by virtue of the gift that he gives to us, the gift of the Holy Spirit that is the presence of God, he can say, I will be with you always. This is why he needed to ascend, so as to give the gift of the Holy Spirit. And certainly, we have that gift anticipated, if you will, in these words of Jacob. God, the one who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Now, What else is going on here? Well, let us read chapter 35, verse 2, because I think in this verse, you have something very relevant uh, for a point of reflection, just going back to what I was saying earlier, uh, what we're going to get into as it relates to verse 2 is that one thing that jumped out to me in my initial reading of the text. So what was I jotting down as I was reading this text initially? Verse 2, and my thoughts around verse 2. Here, We read in verse 2, So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. All right, so here he talks about the prerequisites to the offering. But in order for this offering to be what it needs to be, you have to do a, a few things beforehand, right? Put away your false gods. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I would propose to you this evening that you have here a threefold formula into how we ought to prepare for Mass. What do I mean? Well, consider this first element, put away false gods. That always translates in the Hebrew as put away those strange gods. The Hebrew word for idol is strange god. Because why? Well, 
if someone from the outside was looking at how we spend our time and what we are too attached to, they would probably say to you and I, how strange indeed. We all have idols. We all have things that we are probably too attached to. I was just talking about the television or, or Xbox or, or Fortnite. I cannot believe what I'm reading about Fortnite, the, the number of hours spent on that particular video game. It can be a diabolical thing if we have become too attached to it. I'm telling you something, my friends. If we are spending three, four, five, six hours in front of a computer screen playing a game like that, strange God indeed. Strange God. But we all have our strange gods. What does Jacob say? Put away those strange gods because those strange gods are idols. They're false gods. You're putting them essentially before God who created you, God who is Father. So if we are going to be right when we go to Mass, when, when we attend church, we have to put away those false gods, my friends. It's part of the prerequisite, if you will. We are not going to be properly disposed to God if we are busy thinking about uh, our next move in Fortnite. <laughs> okay? I mean, I, again, have my own attachments if I'm rooting too hard for a particular team. I know that I'm spending too much time rooting for my teams if I'm at Mass thinking about, man, I wish the coach did this or that during the game. It would have changed the outcome. If I'm thinking about that, it's time for me to, to put away that false god, right? Second, purify yourselves. Purify yourselves. That uh, Hebrew translates to become clean, to become clean. It's been quite some time since I've last talked about the significance of that beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for, for they shall see God. Remember that the Greek word there for pure, purity, is kathados. That Greek translates the Old Testament Hebrew understanding of what it means to become pure, to become clean. And what we mean by that is when you go to the word kathados, it best translates as to be without mixture, okay? To be without mixture, to be one thing, to have a heart that is unpolluted. You see, if the first element here, if the first principle is to put away false gods, you have to purify yourself. You have to have that deeper understanding of what it means to purify yourself, of what it means to be without mixture or to be one thing. You see, if we are going to have a single heart for God, a single-minded focus for God, we have to discipline ourselves. How many of us out there go to great lengths to lose 10 pounds, 12 pounds, 15 pounds, and in the process, put yourself through a very strict diet, which consequently has you experiencing some pain, just not in the not being able to eat this or that, whatever it is that you're attached to, but also as you work out with weights or if you go running, we go to great lengths through great pain to purify our bodies, to make our bodies strong. That's a good thing. That's a very good thing. Don't get me wrong. Don't, don't think for a second I'm saying that's not a good thing because it is. But my point here is, do we do the same thing for the soul? 
do we do the same thing in the spiritual life? Do you transfer the discipline you have in the physical realm to the spiritual realm? Someone asked me uh, not too long ago how I fast. And uh, fasting is a great vocation, my friends, a, a great calling that certainly Jesus calls us to. And there's many points to be had about this. And you've heard me talk about this before at its foundation. Fasting is praying with your body because ultimately you're offering your body to God. Now, to the question I received and to the conversation that I had with this particular individual, we have to regard the pain that's involved in fasting. Because he says to me, yeah, I just, I get these headaches and I just can't do it. Well, when you work out, do you go through pain? Yes. Okay, so what's the difference with working out in the spiritual life, right? If you are experiencing pain, that is something that could be offered to God. This is what Paul reminds us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, and in other verses. The redemptive value that lies in the pain, that's the whole idea of, of fasting. And fasting, of course, is a great discipline of purifying ourselves, refining ourselves. Uh, refinement is actually in the word, the Hebrew word, to purify, to refine, to purge. Essentially, fasting purges those unhealthy attachments, those, those strange gods, as I've talked about it. Just simply saying no to the computer screen, to saying no to, to playing Fortnite for a day can have exponential value for you. So, fasting. We've heard the cliche, no pain, no gain. Where there is an absence of pain, <laughs> there is no gain. That's what Jesus teaches us on the cross. All right, what about this third piece here? Change your garments. My friends, what is the Mass? What do we read in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7? But the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are attending a wedding. Right, so we need to change our garments. We need to prepare just not our hearts, but also our clothing. Certainly this has direct relevance to the priest, right, who changes his garments to the priestly vestment. Interestingly enough, as the first Christian teachers reminded us, the very first time that you see the, the Hebrew kehal, which is the Hebrew word for the assembly of believers or church, we read of Aaron and the tribe of Levi changing their garments, changing into vestments. And I think that's a beautiful insight that comes to us from the first Christian teachers. In essence, <laughs> you cannot have the church and a gathering as it ought to be without the changing of the garment, if you will, without the changing into the vestment. Okay, before we run out of time, I did want to speak to these last few verses here, verses 9 to 12, because as I noted earlier, there is a direct allusion to Abraham. If you were to flip back to Genesis chapter 17, and I'm going to quickly turn back there, Genesis chapter 17, what do we read? But the sign of the covenant, right? When Abraham was 99 years old, chapter 17, verse 1, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. 
and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Ah, isn't that interesting? Didn't we just read of a name change from Jacob to Israel? Verse 5 continues, For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and, and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. What did we just read? <laughs> so essentially in these verses, as the Ignatius commentary again highlights, Jacob is again confirmed as the heir of the great Abrahamic covenant at Bethel. And the words spoken to Jacob parallel the divine discourse with Abraham that we just read, where God changes the name of the patriarch introduces himself as God Almighty, promises to make him fruitful, appoints him to be the father of all nations, pledges to raise up kings from his line. And lastly, in verse 12, the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you and I will give the land to your descendants after you. He grants him a land inheritance. We've talked a great deal about typology, the study of types, how Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of these figures prefigure Christ. Well, within that teaching, we can also claim how there are types within the Old Testament that prefigure future patriarchs and personalities in the Old Testament. In this case, Abraham to Jacob, right? But as I've noted before, it's just not a game of connecting the dots, but a connecting of the dots that leads to a, a more whole picture. And as we're working through the book of Genesis, hopefully that picture is coming into view. That patriarchal picture, how God has used uh, these great patriarchs to bring about his plan that, of course, points to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.